Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, guys, and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about customer retention, how you can retain your customers longer, and if we know that uh, five times cost less to retain customers than to acquire new ones. So I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Alex Longshare. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Anatoly. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, uh, I found your profile on LinkedIn. I know about your extended experience. So I'm so excited to learn more about that, especially on Friday. You know, I found a few studies online that if you want to increase sales, uh, you need to ask your customers on Friday because of this positive feeling, uh, because of weekend. Um, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about client retention thread. Yeah, sure. Um, so as I said, first of all, thanks for the invitation to speak, Anatoly. Um, my background is, um, you know, I, I studied science in university and uh, was a geologist looking for gold in Northern Canada. Um, I left that and and went to work for the public sector. Then I left that and went to work in the nonprofit sector. And then I decided to start my own business. And um, that was uh, a data analytics company, which eventually became Cardinal Path. And so I was a co-CEO at Cardinal Path for uh, many years until 2021 when I um, stepped down from that role to take on the role of Chief Alliance Growth Officer at uh, at Merkel, where I run the Global Google Tech Alliance. So that's kind of like my my backstory. Nice, nice, love it, love it. Uh, by the way, I found that you know people are looking for golden buttons. You you uh, you search for go gold uh, in Canada, but some people want to get these golden buttons. Can you tell uh, about uh, customers? loyalty how to create this feeling how to retain customers longer and where to start for example if i have customers and my goal is to keep them longer what i need to do well i think that's a really complex question um and yeah. there's a lot of layers to it uh so you know i'll start off by saying i think it's the exact right question that one needs to ask i mean so everybody kind of comes to me and says you know, and I have a, a, a coaching practice uh, where I work with agencies to help them uh, get better at what they do. And, you know, a common question is, how do I acquire more clients? And kind of my first answer is, let's look at the clients you currently have. And let's really understand the relationships that you have there. So, and the, and the reason why, as you alluded to in your start, is that it costs you know, typically about five times more to acquire a new customer than it is to keep a customer. And I think most customers have an appetite for growth. And by that, I mean, you know, everybody kind of wants to, to build their business and agencies are really in the growth business. So it behooves us to help them grow. And I think through that growth, we grow as well. So there's a lot of things that are stacked very positively for agencies to, to build clients and, um, and building clients is another way of saying client retention and client satisfaction. Uh, you know, I I break down I break it down broadly into two areas, Anatoly. One is what I call the upstream area, which is everything that happens before a contract is signed, and then downstream, which is everything that happens after the contract is signed, and those two things are linked. Um, so, what I mean by upstream is. Um, all the marketing, the messages that we give in our marketing, the way our sales teams talk to prospects, the way that our sales engineers and our and and uh, our client account people talk about what they're going to do, the way we structure our contracts, how we have those conversations, those negotiations that lead towards a sale, all of those things do something which is really fundamental, and that is they establish the tone of the relationship. And the, the way that you do all of that has a really important impact on the downstream end, which is the onboarding of the client, the kickoff meeting with the client, the delivery of service to the client, the follow-up and follow-through with the client. Like if, 
on your upstream side, your marketing, your sales, you know, you behave in a way which is different from your downstream side, then you're going to have unhappy clients and there's going to be a lack of that. So, you know, um, I view client retention is a, it's really, it's a continuum. You talked about a thread, it's a continuum and it starts with marketing and followed up by sales. So I guess a good example of that is, you know, I like to say that if you go out on a date with somebody and the person shows up and, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're not, they're not well put together or they mm -hmm. um, act really badly um, or they, you know, act, you know, really rudely, what have you. Yeah. What makes you think that going out with them or marrying them is going to change that behavior? If on your first date, their behavior is bad, what makes you think that, you know, that's going to change? Because typically speaking, we're on our best behavior early on in any relationship and client retention is a relationship. So that's why I'm so focused on the upstream end. I need my salespeople to not say things which aren't true. I need my salespeople to be follow up and follow through. I need my salespeople to be prepared to identify bad behavior on behalf of a prospect and not necessarily call it out, but basically say, we're not going to put up with that. You know, that's not what we're going to do. The, the, the sales team and the marketing team need to put out a, a tone which really reflects who we are as an organization, acts as kind of a filter and a screen for clients that we're going to take. Because if you just take in any client, you're guaranteed going to get some bad ones. So they have to act as a bit of a filter. And you typically discover that during the negotiation process towards a contract. And that's the yeah. real place which I find you're going to discover that. So again, you know, I can tell you from experience that clients that are really difficult during the negotiation of contract phase that are, um, you know, that kind of change things midway through or aren't responsive in that process or suddenly ask you for more stuff or, you know, whatever, that type of behavior is going to be repeated downstream except that now your delivery team is going to have to work with that. And it's very hard to work with that type of personality because they're not playing by the same set of rules. They view you very much as a service delivery entity. So the upstream is really important. Um, you know, I'll just say one more thing on that. And if you have a question, I'll let you ask it. But the, yeah, yeah. the, the next thing that I find is super duper important is I work really hard to change the way that we look at the statement of work, right? So whenever you're selling a client or you're in the sales process or funnel with a client, you're moving through your various stages of your pipeline, you come to the point where you're having the contract and the contract negotiation. Um, you know, my belief is you need to spend an extraordinary amount of time getting that right because that becomes the foundational contract between you and the client. And clients are really very good at saying, well, can you just throw this in? And agencies, uh, and to particularly, you know, people that deliver services are tend to be conflict avoiders. So they tend to say, oh, okay. But once you do that, you've opened up the door and it becomes very, very difficult to stuff the genie back into the bottle. So, Spending a lot of time on the SOW where you're extremely clear on what the deliverables are, where you're extremely clear on what the responsibilities are on both sides. You know, if you have a turnaround time, if you have an approvals process, if you have payment terms, all that type of stuff needs to be really clear. And then and, and we need to then be clear and say, listen, we're spending a lot of time negotiating this because we believe this is the foundational contract between our two organizations that's going to govern the way that we work. And we're going to use it to measure our success with you. So it's an important document. And what we'd like to make sure of is that we fully understand it and there's, there's no ambiguities. Um, so the, the SOW is an extremely important document. And I like to prefer to view it and the way I position it is it's not an SOW. It's an accountability document. It's what we're being held accountable for as an agency and what you as a client are going to be held accountable to as well. 
And you can't negotiate those things after the fact. If you try to, if you try to get to a deal without putting those things up front, um, you're often going to find that that's going to make you unhappy later on. And now you've got a binding contract. So upstream, how marketing communicates our capabilities, no, no overselling, no kind of hype that's not true, no faking it before you make it. And that type of stuff is just it doesn't ha- it's not good today. Sales, follow up, follow through, smile on your face when you're talking, always assume the best of intentions, you know, notice bad behavior in sales calls, be prepared to, to, to talk about that and say, that's just not how we roll. You know, just establishing the filter that this, your organization, you know, is really wedded to client success and we're really, really busy. And, um, we, you know, we don't want you to be unhappy and us to be unhappy. So we're going to have these hard conversations up front, a very clear discussion around the SOW. And, and that's, that's critical to the downstream end. So before I go any further into the downstream end, any questions on that or anything you want to double click on? Uh, you mentioned about over sales. Can yeah. you tell how to find the balance between sales and over sales? Because I, I often see, you know, when uh, brands oversell, it's annoying, you know, uh, and uh, I don't know about other customers, but I get the feeling to bounce, to go ahead, to leave this brand, to find something else. Can you tell about the balance between this sales and oversell? How, how do I know that it's not overselling? Well, you know, so I think, again, that's a great question. Um, have you ever gone to a store? Yeah. <laughs> Has somebody ever walked up to you in the store, a salesperson, and what do they oh, typically say? My... What do they typically I say? Know. It, uh, in most cases, they ask uh, how they can help me. No, in right. most cases, yeah. And, and what do you say? Uh, you know, it depends on the store. Uh, sometimes yeah. I really need help. Sometimes I don't need it because I have my own preferences. Sometimes I want to have my uh, personal space. You know, I don't yeah. need other opinion. So, yeah, it depends. Most people say, no, thank you. I'm just looking. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they do that is because we hate being sold. Nobody likes the feeling of being manipulated because yeah. there's a sense that being sold is being manipulated. And nobody likes to feel manipulated. So, you know, I'm very much of the opinion that uh, the best sales are educational. And the mm-hmm. ones that, you know, you, you leave it out there. If somebody wants to buy they'll buy if somebody doesn't want to buy convincing them to buy you know we're all very busy and um you know that's that's kind of not what we want to do we don't want to convince people to buy um now we might want to convince them that we're the best people to do this work and in which case i think the most convincing thing there is not actually what we say it's what we do and, mm-hmm. and what our track record is. So, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, take a look at our case studies, take a look at our client list, take a look at our referrals from those clients, take a look at our customer satisfaction scores, take a look at how long we've been in business, take a look at the, the things that, you know, if you hire us, the chances of you being unhappy or the chances of not being able to deliver are very low because uh, we pride ourselves on that. So, uh, I am, I am, and, and let me make you very, very clear, Anatoly. Mm-hmm. Everybody sells in the organization. Everybody sells. I call it having a culture of pursuit. Everybody's goal is to pursue the sale. Absolutely. But nobody is to do it in such a way that pe- makes people feel manipulated. So, mm-hmm. yes, let's introduce people to new ideas, new things. To clients to new things. Yes, let's explain what the value of doing that is about. Yes, let's show them how other clients have been able to uh, reap, you know, tangible value by doing so. Yes, let's show them how that's going to make them more efficient and it's going to improve, whatever, you know, yes, yes, yes to all those things. But our goal isn't to convince them of something that isn't true. And when you sell things that you don't actually know, and, you know, hand on heart, when I started my business, um, I, 
you know, I did a few of those fake it before you make it moments. And I have to say those were the most stressful experiences by far. So, um, you know, if you're in a situation where you're trying to do that, I think it's important to kind of disclose and say, listen, you know, we're, this is a new area for us. Um, we'd love to have you as a beta client. As a result, we're going to give you this type of pricing, but it's only going to be for this thing. And in exchange for that, we're going to need to have a reference or something like that. So, yeah. um, so, so somebody just wrote here that quick, quick, uh, Maureen wrote about quick response and good service, good quality and dressing is absolutely. So again, um, I believe that turnaround and responsiveness really matter, right? They really, really matter. If you take your car and you drop your car off at the garage and then you don't hear anything for a couple of days, you're like, what's going on? Like, what's going on? It's important for us to be proactive in our communication because what it does is it provides comfort and what people want is comfort. It's important for people to feel like you're important and what makes people feel important is when they get a responsiveness. So, you know, absolutely. For example, at Cardinal Path, there was a rule. If we get a lead that comes in from our form, it gets answered in two hours, within two hours. That, why? Because that is demand. That's somebody that's in market looking for something. You better answer that right away because they're in market. You better answer that right away. Um, but going back to the SOW, it's mm -hmm. unrealistic and almost impossible for an organization, an agency to give 15 minute response, half hour response. I mean, it, 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 just, it just can't be done at scale. So the SOW has to specify what the expectations are around responsiveness. So if you send us an email and, you know, we're going to call, let's say the company's called Acme or widget company, we'd have like, you know, widget company at cardinalpath.com. And we'd say any email that comes to us at widget company at cardinalpath.com will get a response time within eight hours. Right. And then the goal was to do that within six hours. Now that response doesn't necessarily mean to be, we've solved your problem, but the response definitely has to be, thanks. We're looking into this. I've assigned this to Steve. You should hear back from Steve within blank time. Um, but that has to be again in the accountability accord. The accountability accord is the SOW. So we set those expectations. Um, I can go to the downstream side. I want to be, you know, make sure that we have time to, to, to speak to that. Is yeah, that yeah, we have time. Just, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, share more about that. All right. So upstream, marketing and sales. Remember, mm -hmm. the first touch point is going to be marketing. The second touch point is going to be sales. How we are in sales is telegraphing to our clients how we're going to be as a company. There can be no delta between the way we are in sales and the way we are in delivery, right? That those two those two things have to come together. So, a responsiveness in the sales process, follow up and follow through. You know, that's all. If you do that in the sales process, what you're really saying is that when we're in the delivery end, the downstream end, we're going to be the same way. Now, just a sidebar on that. It's very common for agencies to say, "We'll get your proposal tomorrow." That's crazy town, <laughs> right? Because when I hear somebody say, I can get that for you tomorrow, what I really hear them say is I'm not that busy and I have time. And humans, like if I go into a city I don't know and I don't know where to eat and I haven't gone on to, you know, online to check it out, I'll just look and see where's there a restaurant with a lineup. You know, that's just social proof that place is good. Even if it's not, that place is good because people are lining up. So when we are trying to be quote unquote responsible by saying, I'll get you something tomorrow, what we're really saying is we're not busy. So I think it's better to say instead things from a sales perspective. Listen, um, you know, here's what you've said that you're looking for in a proposal. I want to make sure I've got that right. Is that indeed right? Good listing skills. Good listing skills are part of the overall client retention process. Um, is that right? It is? Okay, look, 
Um, I want to make sure that I get our sales engineer to look at this and we take our proposals very seriously. So it's going to be reviewed. Um, I can get that to you. Today is Monday. I can get that to you for Thursday. Is that all right? And 99% of the time, a client will say, sure. A prospect will say, sure. Now, if a prospect says, no, I need it tomorrow, that's already an issue because that's an unrealistic expectation. You already know that that potential client's going to be a problem if they say, I need it tomorrow. Right. Because that's an unrealistic expectation. So if you feed into that, you're actually feeding into the downstream end when you're in delivery and they start having unrealistic expectations. So you set that up front. You say, how about Thursday? Does Thursday work? Today's Monday at two. How about I get it to you for before noon on Thursday? If they say yes, and 99% will say yes, you get it them for Wednesday. They're happy because you've beat the deadline. Yeah. With an expectation you beat the deadline. So, you know, these are just some of the small things that we can do. When we get onto the downstream end, um, like a lot of things that, that, that screw up client retention is actually in the way that the expectations haven't been relying to the reality, right? So if sales oversells and doesn't have a good SOW, and the reality that then the clients aren't going to have an expectation that's set in reality for what delivery is going to look like. And that's the number one destroyer. It's very simple. You know, expectations divided by reality equals client happiness. If the expectations are too high, you know, then they're not going to be happy. So you have to make sure reality and expectations are balanced. So when it comes to the Downstream end, the first part of that is the onboarding process. And the onboarding process is where sales hands off to delivery. It's where sales completely debriefs the delivery team. It's where sales goes through the SOW and makes sure that the delivery team understands what the SOW is, what's in and what's not. The onboarding process of how the organization, the agency, learns about the new client from the sales team and gets ready, puts together the email address for the distribution list, puts together the invoicing schedule and lines that to what's in the, the SOW, makes sure that the team that's uh, that's been pulled together has had a chance to read the SOW and understands it. Um, you know, is briefed on the personalities, knows the background of the client that's been given to them by the sales team. That's all onboarding. And that has to happen internally. Um, and then the next step is the kickoff meeting. And the kickoff meeting is incredibly important. And it's incredibly important because it's it formally marks the shift from this was the sales to now this is the delivery. And the kickoff meeting has to start with a review of the SOW, not by the salespeople, but by the delivery people. So that's where the client is sitting down. Salespeople are in the room because they make the introductions. The delivery team is there and the delivery team is sitting down going, okay, listen, Anatoly, I've got the SOW in front of us. And I think what we should do first is we should review the SOW to make sure there's total clarity about that and how we're going to make this work. Is that good? And then you review the SOW together. And if the client says, yeah, I know we said that, but you know, we've been thinking about this and we'd like to change that. And that happens, mm -hmm. right? That happens. Then that's a moment where you kind of go, well, um, I really want to say yes, but I have to say no, because that's not what we negotiated. So if you want to change that, I'm happy to do that, but that's going to require a change request. And yeah. if the if the new client is unhappy with that, then, you know, there's a whole bunch of ways you can approach that. You know, it's like, well, look, you wanted to buy a Toyota Corolla and we sold you the Toyota Corolla. And now you're saying that you actually want a Lexus. So if you want the Lexus, we can look at that, but that's a whole new thing and it's going to cost you more money. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't establish and have clarity about expectations, then there's no way you're going to get to happiness because, you know, reality divided by expectations uh, is what drives client happiness. So um, the kickoff meeting has to go back to the accountability document. Who's responsible for what? When's, when is things are expected to be delivered by uh, and how? How do we measure success as a group? 
You know, how are we going to resolve conflicts if there are any conflicts? You know, how is billing going to happen? And um, what, and you know, what, what are the sign-offs that are required for that? All that type of stuff, that's in the kickoff meeting. And if you assume that that goes well, and as it should, um, then you've got the whole process of delivery. And delivery is, is really where, you know, you're either going to retain clients or not. Uh, and as I'm trying to say is that, you know, if the expectations aren't right, delivery can't meet them. If the, if the client is, is like, you know, basically, um, how do I say this in a gentle word, uh, like a toxic client, you're never yeah. going to get to happiness, right? So there's a whole bunch of things that the team has to start to recognize in order for them to feel um, good uh, uh, in the way that they're moving forward with delivery. But one of the key things in delivery and retention is you need to have regular check-ins. You need to have a mechanism by which you look at the successes, you look at the challenges, and you look at the, the headwinds. You need to have those mechanisms and you need to, you need to be the ones to disclose. Like if there's a problem, it's your responsibility as the uh, agency to be the one to surface that there's a problem because clients typically will surface problems when they're really unhappy. And yeah. often by then it's too late. It's like, um, you know, again, I go back to if you're in a relationship with somebody and they say, Hey, look, Anatoly, you know, the love's gone. It's over, you know? It's very hard to change that. <laughs> it's very hard to change that. And so you've got you've to practice ongoing and proactive um, check-ins in order to maintain that happy client. And um, part of that, of course, is client satisfaction scoring. Part of that, of course, is quarterly check-ins uh, with senior people in the organization. So, for example, I would do a quarterly business review um, with key clients because it mattered. Um, I would always introduce myself to key clients because they needed to know that they mattered and that they had a, a direct line to the CEO if necessary, if necessary. Um, I never wanted that to happen. Um, because then it meant that something was not going well, but you know, you need to, you need to establish that, um, you need to periodically reevaluate your clients and see, are you hitting your targets? Are you doing what you said you would? And then communicating that back out. Um, and then, you know, so I'll just stop there. Any questions on that so far? Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask about impatience because you share a lot of value about, yeah. uh, such thing but you know for example uh if companies have a lot of customers uh, especially uh, software as a service companies they uh some of them have like plus ten thousand customers a lot of them and uh, when you you uh and it's hard to reply immediately to customers when they have some pain points by using soft uh and uh, i i see many examples like this when customers uh are impatient they wanna get answers now so they uh trying to uh reach out to company on chat or uh website many other things but you know uh, i see when companies uh, usually use ai tools to reply to these questions of automation and uh, satisfaction is not good no because tools are not ready probably you know to help and support customers and uh many of customers uh, uh, I don't know. They are looking for other ways to their competitors who can decide this problem. Can you tell what to do if you, uh, you have uh, uh, some product, uh, subscriptions, and people need to get answers now, but your resources are limited. You can't reply to 10,000 customers. Probably, okay, not 10,000, probably 500 customers. Uh, 100 customers want to get answers now. What to do from your experience? Uh, how to help them in that way? Yeah, well, look, I think that's a very germane question, right? So if you're if you're dealing with a volume based business, right? So mm -hmm. I'm offering, for example, paid search services, um, and I'm doing that at scale, and my average client is paying me, I don't know, you know, thousand euros a month. Um, mm -hmm. There's really uh, not a lot of wiggle room for you to 
uh, be inundated by a thousand questions. So um, that's exactly why we have to go back to what the terms of the contract are. Mm-hmm. And the terms of the contract would say, listen, you're buying in at this level. And there's a simple reality out there, right? Is that uh, answering a question with a human has a very clear and very calculable cost. Like if if I have somebody uh, that is answering an email and it takes them 15 minutes to answer that email and I'm paying them, I don't know, 50 euros an hour to do that, or I'll make it simpler, 60 euros an hour, then that just cost me 15 euros to do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And if I'm charging them a thousand euros a month, Uh, and my costs of delivery are, you know, 900, then I've just eaten into a quarter of my margin, right? Yeah. So you have to be very careful about that. So the pricing structure has to, and therefore the contract, has to account for a level of usage. And one of the things which I discovered a long time ago, and I've tested this out because, as I said, I do a lot of coaching with um, uh, agencies and and I've done a lot of work with Google with um, with agencies around the world, um, is that typically those clients that are smaller use more of your resources than the larger clients. So they're the ones that are you know, picking up the phone or they're the ones that are emailing you more frequently because they're very concerned about how their spend is because if they're spending a thousand euros a month with you, for example, um, or even 500 euros a month and their total marketing budget, for example, is, you know, 4,000 euros a year. Uh, that's a big chunk of their marketing budget, you know? Yeah. Um, It's a very so they're very very focused on that so they're going to be on it on it on it on it so you have to structure your your services so that you put a cap in on usage it's just a fact mm-hmm. it's a fact and so as you pay more you get more services you get faster turnaround and you get more personalized turnaround but if you're in a volume based business there's no other way out of it. Unless you you know you hire people in a very low cost uh, wage um, uh, region of the planet, and even that has its challenges. So um, I'm not sure if I answered your question there, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to reply to this question <laughs> because you know, of course, it, de- it depends. The first stage it depends, but uh, I've seen uh, when uh, big companies. Uh, You know, I think they have more resources to reply to a lot of questions. Of course, they have some uh, materials, information, guides uh, uh, that explain how it works. But most customers uh, are not ready to to read it, you know, to check out. They want to get replies immediately when they are using some features. And yeah, yeah, and uh, many companies are trying to fix it with uh, AI tools. But uh, in most cases, you know, they reply like automation about generic questions. Uh, it doesn't help a lot. So, yeah, it's a big issue. I just, uh, uh, yeah, I, I decided to ask you uh, probably because, uh, yeah, I, I've, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, it's a big issue with my customers as well. Uh, yeah. Because, uh, yeah, with, because uh, I help some companies to grow and uh When I tell them, okay, we need to improve customer satisfaction. We need to retain them longer. Uh, and they tell me, we don't know how to reply to all these questions. We can uh, hire a big team of responders, but uh, it decreases uh, income a lot in our revenue because we can't uh, allow this team. So, yeah, it's just the question. Yeah, no, I, I, I get it. I, mean, I really do get it. It's, it's, you know, we talk about customer retention. If you have bad customer service, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be really hard to maintain yeah. that customer. I mean, it's a simple fact. I mean, customer service is part of customer retention. The thing about it is there has to be some clarity that, you know, um, uh, you know, there's a cost to this. Now, you know, let's just take another example. Um, Apple. Right. So mm-hmm. I buy Apple One Care for all of my devices. 
And so that's a three-year contract. I think it in the United States, it costs $129. Mm-hmm. Um, about a month and a half ago, my wife uh, had a problem and she contacted Apple One Care. And it was about a three-hour solve for, for her mm-hmm. and her phone. Yeah. And, I, and I thought three hours, well, that's about already there. That's at least three times um what we were charged for three years with that one call (laughs) (laughs) so how do they do that well obviously it's because the margins on the hardware uh, are just so large and this is about keeping people happy with the hardware so they continue to be mac users so in that case the services end is quite clearly a loss leader now the other thing too is it might not actually be a loss leader because you know, I have uh, a Mac and um, I also paid one twenty nine ninety nine for three years of service and I've never used it. <laughs> so you know, um, it may or may not, but quite clearly uh, the numbers work out in their favor. Um, so, you know, that's a different that's a different model. Like if your product is able to have the margins which enable you to deliver that type of level of service, that's great. Most companies don't have those margins. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, you know, Apple has simple products uh, and you know uh, let me explain why uh, for example when i bought iphone to my mom uh, he uh, figured out for a few hours how it works now uh, uh, before that i spent so much time to explain you need to click here you need to use it you need to on apple she took iphone yeah. and did everything uh, herself without any uh, help so when you have awesome product simple product you don't need to have uh, a big uh, customer support you know who can help your customers so i think apple provides a good job with that yeah let's also be really clear apple i mean just these airpods i believe airpods are i mean i'm thinking to get this wrong but i think the 29 billion dollars a year in sales of airpods i mean 29 billion on just this so they have a lot of money to throw at ux and um and to throw at uh, systems engineering so that most organizations don't have and they set the bar continually so you know it's hard to follow apple simply because uh the amount that they're capable of investing but the but the general idea is correct the general idea is I want to make sure that um, what I'm delivering as a service or what I'm delivering as a product is, you know, self-explanatory enough that I'm going to diminish the level of support services that are required. You know, I don't have an Apple product. I have an Android product. I have a Pixel phone. And I also bought the package that gave me, um, you know, I think it was two years worth of support. Um, I've yet to use it. Uh, so again, you know, these things are insurance products, uh, really more than anything else. And therefore they're, 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 I think they're very fat profit margins as well. Mm -hmm. But the principle I'm getting at is that people are paying for support. That's the principle I'm getting at. So whether, you know, you you know, it's already a well-established principle. And so certainly this idea um, in in service-based businesses where the customer is always right, not true, um, and they can call me anytime and ask me anything anytime for however long, not true. Uh, there is a well-established principle of paying for support. Yeah, nice, nice. Good advice. Okay, I have the question about... Uh... Uh, this airport, uh, you know, uh, you, you shared, uh, probably, I think it's Apple uh, Airport Pro, yeah, uh, if I'm correct. Yeah, and you know, uh, I have the question, uh, you know, for example, I bought this airport uh, and paid $250, if I remember correctly, something like this. Then uh, uh, I decided to buy uh, one more item and so I did, uh, I was not ready to pay again $250. Uh, that's why I bought uh, Meizu for $40 and I compared them. No, uh, for me, it's hard to find a big difference between Meizu for $40 and uh, a Apple AirPods uh, Pro, you know, for $250. Probably we have this difference because I searched online and found that on Apple, we, uh, 
it's better music, it's better something like this. Uh, I'm not good with that. I'm not musician. But uh, can you tell how Apple can sell uh, AirPods Pro for $250 overpriced? Uh, because, you know, most customers change their hard-earned money with uh, products if they believe that these products cost less than their money. So when we have a lot of other choices, not bad, Maisu, not bad, many others, not bad, you know, good uh, headphones, but uh, people, Apple can sell to, uh, you told this number, like uh, $20 billion, you know, for, what do you think, what is the secret of Apple to sell like this, you know, to overcharge, overprice, you know, for this product when we have a bunch of other great headphones, what do you think? Well, you know, I mean, this is um, uh, stepping a bit further away from customer retention, but um, but I guess it's similar. And I'm, you know, I'll just be, you know, hand on heart. This is a little bit more um, kind of a philosophical conversation. But you know, two things. The first one is um, when I started my company, um, and you know, as we built up Cardinal Path, one of the areas that I was really, really focused on was marketing. And I felt very, very much that marketing uh, was really critical to establishing um, a perception in the market about who we were. And when the biography of Steve Jobs came out after his death in 2010 by uh, Jacob Isaacson, I read it cover to cover like within a weekend. And because, you know, I was really fascinated um, by Steve Jobs, the man. But mostly, uh, I was really fascinated by Steve Jobs, the marketer, and what he understood about marketing. And, you know, the reality is that he stepped very, I mean, you think about this, he came back to Apple uh, from Next when he got Apple to buy Next, I think it was in 1997, um, uh, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, immediately um, slashed the product line. Uh, he immediately pulled away all of the licensed Apple deals and because he said, we need to control this. And they went from something like 12 or 15 products down to two. And then he started to build back up again. Because what he realized was that um, each product uh, and each time somebody interacted with an Apple product, it needed to have a uniformity of experience that was close to magical. And so the only way he could make sure that happened is if he controlled all of it. So, um, you know, what he's got going for is number one is it's a design form, which is absolutely magical and fantastic. Secondly, is that it always works. Thirdly, is that there's a high degree of innovation behind this. And fourthly, that he's marketed it in such a way that it appeals to um, my sense of this is a quality product that I'm ready to pay for. But for some people, there's the cachet, of course, of its brand, it's Apple, it's an AirPod Pro, and I want to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, you know, humans, that's a very real and, and easy button to push on the marketing uh, psychology um, uh, kind of uh, lever, uh, but they're able to do it because uh, they've got that brand strength. I mean, they're the first ones to sell regularly a phone that's over a thousand dollars. I mean, my Mac uh, cost me 1200 and a phone costs almost the same now. Yeah. So, I mean, you just think about that, right? Uh, where did I read that Apple is hoovering up like 70% of all profits that are available in the handheld device space. 70% of all profits. So they are, you know, they're really building on a foundation of it just works um, and a foundation of design, innovation, and excellence uh, and a cachet. So, you know, we're ready to spend money on that. Yeah, yeah, love it, love it, yeah. Okay, let's get back to the main topic. Uh, can you tell common mistakes that companies do uh, by retaining customers from your experience? Well, I think the the most common mistake, again, I'm, I'm going to focus in on the area that I know really well, um, is they lose the client relationship. 
And, and what I mean by that is, it, you know, if if I said to you, uh, hey, go and, and speak to that person over there um, and ask them for some money, the chances are, if you don't know them, they're going to say no. But if you know them, they may probably still say no, but at least they'll listen to you, right? And who knows, they may say yes. But that's all predicated upon a relationship. And so you can't get around it. All business is personal and you need to have a client relationship. So if you're in a, uh, a, a high um, touch, low volume business, then you really need to be investing in relationships. Um, and certainly that's what all the big consulting firms do. It's, um, and all the larger B2Bs will do is they really have sales forces that are out there investing in the relationships um, because the relationships allow you to ask the question, hey, um, I'd love to talk to you about this new product that we've got or this new service that we've got. Uh, do you have time next week for me to take you out for lunch? That's a much easier thing to do than a cold call or an email with somebody that you don't know. I don't know you. I don't really want to have dinner with you. I don't have lunch with you. You know, I don't really want to hear about it. I've got, I'm busy. So the relationship really, really matters. It comes down to that. All business is personal. Um, and in a scaled business, the way we manage those relationships is through CRM. Really good CRM. Really good CRM. And also in a, in a small touch business as well. So, and it, it it's often the small things, right? It's like small touches that say I'm thinking about you. So a small touch in a, would be like, hey, if you see an article that you know your client cares about or is interested in, you send it along to them with a small note. Better yet, you, you mail it to them. Nobody gets mail these days. So anything yeah. that's mailed with a handwritten note always delights. Um, relationships. You know, if you're doing a volume-based business, then you need to be maintaining that relationship. And that relationship has to be through your CRM and it's going to have to be both video and email because people don't read as much anymore, but they're prepared to watch. So, you know, what matters to them? It's not what matters to you. It's what matters to them. What matters to them? Focusing on what matters to them. Um, you're really secondary. And in most clients, uh, what I find is particularly in B2B is it's all about growth. So what matters to them is growth. So anything that deals with their growth and their ability to drive growth they're going to be a lot more receptive to that. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome. I have the final question. Uh, can you tell your unique selling proposition uh, compared to uh, many other uh, entrepreneurs uh, or uh, people who can help, you know, to retain customers longer? Uh, what kind of benefits can you provide compared to others? Um. Well, again, you know, hand on heart, um, the the business that I'm in um, is a consultative business that's focused on deployment of MarTech and AdTech stacks so that people can uh, prospect and find clients um, and then convert. So pro they can, you know, prospect for clients, uh, convert prospects to clients, uh, you know, upsell those clients and maintain relationships with those clients and develop loyalty systems around them. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, I'd have to, I'd have to say that, you know, for, for me, um, uh, I'm not sure, I'm not, I'm not exactly certain how I answer that question until I don't, <laughs> I want to be honest with you, but I, I also want to be honest with the people that are listening to, to how that how I'd answer that maybe you can sharpen that up a bit for me uh for example you know uh, I can answer to this question uh, uh, for example about me yeah uh, I compare my services that uh, I provide uh, to my clients and I found that uh, in most cases uh, many customers are not satisfied when uh, SEO companies uh, don't spend more time with customers for example they uh, provide monthly report tell okay i did the job give me one more payment i usually talk 
more often with my customers. I can do it a few times a week. I can spend time with them. I can ask some uh, questions that are not related to business or ask, uh, for example, if I can help you more. Uh, because, you know, for example, if I tell uh, create content and they reply, I have no time with that. I have no experience. So I can try to decide this problem because I know if I can help now i can retain longer and customers will be more satisfied in the end so uh, and uh, these methods can help me you know to increase customer retention like two times uh, because you know many companies get a lot of customers and they have no time to uh, you know to to speak to them uh, that's why my benefits uh, compared to others just to pay more attention to the customers, to talk to them. Yeah, it's it's my unique selling proposition. I can tell that I'm unique with that, but uh, I, I check out uh, my competitors and I think uh, I can provide a good job with that. So yeah, just an example. <laughs> yeah, well, look, um... As I said, my new role, I'm uh, I'm no longer a client facing anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm now more focused on the uh, the entirety of the relationship between uh, Dentsu and and Google with respect to our clients. But I think, you know, if I was asked to to answer that question, um, I, I believe that our unique selling proposition is that you know we are able to um, deliver for clients uh, a seamless and comprehensive multi-channel experience, omni-channel experience uh, for their clients. Uh, we've got the systems that enable them to know exactly, you know, where to place their next dollar in spend in marketing. And we have the systems in place that are able to, um, you know, help them maximize uh, every dollar spent towards their client retention and client growth. So, um the last thing I'd say is there's no other company on the planet Earth that has more clients uh, than we do on the uh, Google marketing platform, GA360. And uh, so therefore, we have an extraordinary depth of knowledge in that. And that's kind of a core linchpin to, you know, understanding um, when everything is digital and everything's measurable. Um, you know, Google Analytics is by far the most important um tool for really understanding the nature of that interaction between you and your clients across that digital ecosystem that you built. So that's, that's pretty fundamental. Nice. Nice. Love it. Love it. Alexander, it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you. You share a lot of valuable insights. Tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Yeah, sure. Well, look, I'm, I'm uh, at a Langshire on Twitter. Um, and, um, or easier, it's just uh, Alex Langshire on LinkedIn. Please reach out. I'm happy to connect and uh, I'm trying to post more stuff there. So, um, yeah. Okay, guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Guys, you need to follow Alex. You need to reach out to him because you can see a lot of valuable insights. So if you want to uh, save money by acquiring new customers, learn from Alex how to retain your existing customers. Okay, guys, love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.